Hello and welcome into the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Patagno alongside 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting, Andrew Ivins. And in case you've been living under a rock, it has been a pretty chaotic week of college football shakeup, conference realignment. We'll talk about it all here. Also, K.J. Bolden, the number one safety in the land from the state of Georgia off the board to Florida State. We'll talk a little bit about that. Georgia's backfield continues to stack talent and a lot more to talk about. But, Drew, I, I'm in my new digs, man. I'm in Nashville. I'm at the 24-7 Sports headquarters. I'm in the uh, the – I would say the temple of Josh Pate right now where late kick live gets filmed. So it's a, it's a new feel for you and I, but drew business as usual. How we doing, man? I'm doing good. I was going to say, you look like Josh Pate just with some hair, a beard and not wearing a white, white t-shirt. You got a gray, what is that? A quarter zip. It's a little chilly in here. I think it's like, you know, I gotta, I gotta talk to management. I think it's like 70 degrees. Uh, you know, so the quarter zip, it's it's quite humid outside, but the quarter zip was definitely something. It was a play that needed to be made today. But nonetheless, we're, we're excited to be here. I am. Well, I would, I would assume Emily Proud probably has control of the temperature in there, right? I mean, that that's she hosts, the, she hosts the show, whatever she wants, she gets. She runs this place. All right, Drew. Hey, let's let's get to it. Let's start with the conference realignment that has been the topic of conversation that has ruled college football over the last week or so. Oregon and Washington, the two biggest names in college football from the Pac-12 footprint to the Big Ten. That will start next year in 2024. They will join USC and UCLA, their former Pac-12 counterparts. And then outside of that, you got Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah now all heading to the Big 12. And as we know it, this seems to be the end of the Pac-12 conference. The only four schools left, Washington State, Oregon State, Cal, and Stanford. So there's a lot to talk about, a lot of residual effect here. Drew, I mean, what what were your thoughts as this was all happening? And this is a college football recruiting podcast, so maybe we'll try to look at it from that angle. But maybe one or two takeaways that I can maybe bounce off of you when when you saw all this chaos kind of divulging over the weekend. Well, it is what it is in terms of the realignment. But when you look through the recruiting lens and you know, there's a lot of people in my life that have asked me, hey, what does this mean for recruiting? Like, I don't think really anything changes. And that's because we've hinted at it. We've discussed it. Recruiting has just gone so, so national. Like no one recruits regionally anymore at the power five level. And I try to pull together some data to kind of back that up. Um, so this isn't like a full scope, but I think this will put some stuff into perspective. So if you go in, in, in the 2023 cycle, those are the guys that are freshmen on campuses around the country of our top 25 ranked prospects in California, 19 of them went to schools, not in the state of California, USC signed five. I think Cal got the sixth. Flip on over to the state of Georgia, 19 of their 25 went out of state. You would think the two-time defending national champions have a moat around uh, the state and, and no one slips out, but we've seen it. Uh, you know, The kids aren't afraid to go other places. In Florida, 16 of 25, I think Florida needs an asterisk just because IMG Academy kind of skews the numbers. A lot of kids transfer into the 
boarding school from out of the region, then they returned back home. That's the rule of thumb. But Texas, it was 13 of 20 of their uh, top 25 ranked players going elsewhere. So, so what am I saying? Like, I, I just think with where recruiting has gone, you know, kids seem to be, uh, they're not afraid to go anywhere. And I'm sure, you know, you kind of read different takes and, and you see them on social media. Well, Hey, these families with these nationwide conferences spanning from coast to coast, how are they going to see their kids play? Well, you know, normally they're going to be on TV, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what's fueling all these moves, the TV contracts. So you can see them on TV. And there's also this thing called NIL, right? Like all these kids are getting played now. You want mom and dad to come see you. Well, you have the funding to do it. So I don't like from a recruiting perspective, like big picture uh macro like i don't think much changes now we can dive into individual schools hey you know i think they'll have access to this region and whatnot and i I guess coop i mean do you think kids are going to want to be in in one of these two power conferences like is that is that going to kind of be the big point i i guess that's another thought i know i just threw a ton at you Oh, we, we talked about it yesterday on the college football recruiting show, and I thought this, and the question was asked if Washington or Oregon was in the Big Ten during my time there, would it have helped with some particular recruitments? And I think the answer to that was resoundingly yes. I think there were some recruitments that would have gotten done because during my time at Washington, 18, 19, Oregon in 2020, you saw this big West Coast migration. You saw Bijan Robinson, maybe he's not the best example, go from Arizona to Texas. You saw Zach Charbonnet start his career at Michigan, Nick Herbig to Wisconsin, Court Williams to Ohio State. The list goes on and on. Kendall Milton to the University of Georgia. The top talent on the West Coast was migrating east because – The SEC and the Big Ten were the two most premier conferences in all of college football, and it provided the best opportunity to also go play, be developed, and play in the biggest stage and have an opportunity to go play in the NFL. The Pac-12 did not have that reputation. So now for the four programs that have left the Pac-12 for the Big Ten, this is a huge advantage for Washington in particular, I believe, on the West Coast because USC, Oregon recruit nationally. UCLA is leans heavily on the transfer portal. Washington is one of those programs that I think can tap back in to some of the, the best talent within their footprint and be able to keep those guys home with a better pitch than an Arizona or an Arizona State or a Utah or a Colorado. So I think it's fascinating, Drew. I'm with you. I think last week we talked about this. It's becoming NFL light right? It's less about geographical ties. It's less about the traditional college football that we grew up about, grew up around. It's going to be like NFL red zone on a Saturday and you're having teams fly all the way across the country. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, the, the kickback on this is saying, Hey, these East coast teams, it's a shorter flight to London than it is to Eugene, Oregon, right? So that's the new college football model that we're getting. And in terms of recruiting, I think it's going to reflect that. I think it's it's going to be a game without boundaries now when it comes to talent acquisition. Well, I think there's going to be certain kids that where the allure of playing in the SEC will, will remain the same. And I think 
now the Big Ten will be in that same conversation. I mean, we're going to get, I don't know if it'll be the 2024 NFL draft, but the 2025, 2026, and beyond. I mean, those things are going to be dominated by two conferences. You're going to see the graphics on social media, whatever it is at that point, X, threads, Instagram, is you know, it, it'll be those two conferences clear cut. So I do think some kids will want to play in those conferences because, hey, this is the way, the path to the league. I, I do think that needs to be brought up. Um, Coop, kind of my other thought, I'm excited about what the Big 12 could be. Like, I think it it gets way more exciting um, with the addition of those schools. You said Arizona, Utah, Arizona State, and and just kind of reasons why. I think it's pretty wide open. And, and I know you had to do the survey as well where we were asked, and it was multiple people at 24-7 Sports, to kind of rank the new Big 16, or are we still calling it the Big 12? I don't I don't really know. Big 12 um, for now. Big 12 for rank the new look Big 12, one through 16 in terms of like recruiting potential for each school. Um, and I I struggled with that exercise. At one point, I finished and I looked up and I'm like, I only have 13 teams. That's because I had five three different schools at number five. So who did you have at the top? Who were your top three in that? Do you do you know? That is what I'm currently trying to pull up on on my computer. Um, no, I thought that was a great exercise, and I'm glad I'm glad you brought it up um, because I think it it makes you think a little bit about how you see these teams and how they how they stack up. Um, so here it is. Here here's what I have. So in terms of what I had, and are are you interested in the Big Twelve first? Yeah, let's just talk Big Twelve, but we don't have to talk Big Ten. I, I think the Big Twelve is more interesting. Yeah, the Big 12, I started off with with TCU. Um, that was the team that I still think is in the best position there. Um, in terms of the way that I see one through five, I had Central Florida at number two, and we're going to talk about them a, a little bit uh, later in the show, and I'll tell you why. This leaned more – this looked more past short-term expectations and potent potency on the recruiting trail and more long-term, right? That's how, it, I, that's how it, I approach it as well. So I, I leaned very, very much on geography. So I had TCU at number one, I had Central Florida at number two, I had Texas Tech at number three, I had Utah at number four, and at number five, I had Houston. Okay. We're, we're pretty aligned here. I had UCF number one, which I know people are going to like raise their eyebrows. Utah two. Texas Tech three, TCU four, Arizona five, Houston six. So four out of the five are the same, just in yeah. a different order. But what what intrigues me about the Big Twelve is now you have schools located in Florida with UCF. You have multiple programs in Texas, another football hotbed, and then I think the pool of talent in the state of Arizona is only getting better. And, and now you are stretching into all three of those regions. And I think if you look at a school that maybe like, let's take West Virginia, for example, I mean, how the state of West Virginia produces a, a dozen FBS prospects a year. And, and I know they try to recruit up and down the Eastern seaboard, but now you're playing games again in those three talent rich regions. I, I just think it's a, 
it's a fascinating conference. I think Cincinnati's in the same conversation. You know, the high school football there is good. It, it's obviously good in the state of Ohio. You have Kentucky right there as well. But man, like you can branch out into these different regions. I think it's big for Colorado moving in there. Um, so to me, kind of like the long-term outlook of the Big 12 is, is fascinating. And I said this before we hit record, an, another kind of thought on this whole thing, you know, what happens to like, I think some of these big 12 jobs are now way more attractive. And I think some of these jobs could open in the near future. You know, um, Dennis Dodd looked up his, his coaching hot seat uh, article he wrote last month. He had Dana Holgerson as a five or Dana Holgerson was a three pressure is mounting. Neil Brown at West Virginia is a five winner be fired. Like I think both those jobs in the new look, Big 12 are so much more attractive. And that would be West Virginia and Houston if they were to open up. Drew, I'm going to throw out some names to you. Like Houston, I had in my top five, right? And I think that's a really desirable job. Uh, we saw the success Tom Herman had with the Cougars there. Now they're in the Big 12. They're in the, one of the three power conferences. I mean, you think about what they even have at the receiver position, right? You look at guys like Matthew Golden. Stephon Johnson, Jonah Wilson, who they brought in, and Mikhail Harrison Pilot. <laughs> that to me, they should be able to rep replicate at other positions in the roster. So Houston's a, a really intriguing job to me. I, I think you're right. I think immediately, initially, the segment we had yesterday on the college football recruiting show, it was going to be about the aftermath of conference realignment, who the winners and losers were. And one of the winners that I was considering was Northwestern. The, I, I believe the only active vacancy right now that has an interim tag at the head coach position. You're telling me Northwestern's not in a better position today than they were a week ago in terms of how the Big Ten is seen on the national scale. And they're either 1A or 1B when it comes to power conferences, even if you had them too. And the first person I thought about, because I mentioned his name when the Northwestern job came open, and a lot of people said, why would he leave for that? And I agree, but I think he'd entertain it. It's like, what happens with Jonathan Smith? What happens with Oregon State? There's really good coaches out there that are now going to look at the Big Ten and the SEC. And you look at the Big Ten. Look at the Big Ten right now. Ohio State, Ryan Day. Michigan, Jim Harbaugh, James Franklin, Penn State, Luke Fickle, Wisconsin. These guys aren't going anywhere. You want your spot at the table, you better, you better take it when it's open, right? That's kind of the way I see this. So I, I agree, like when these jobs open up, I think that's going to add a, a different level of interest that traditionally people might not associate with particular jobs. You talked about West Virginia. Why is that a good job? Well, they're in the mix, right? And right now, there's only a handful of programs through three conferences that are in the mix and have the resources to pony up to actually compete for a national championship. I guess we should point out uh, what realignment might not be done. Who knows what's going to happen with Florida State and, and what they got going on? Yeah, we got the... Stanford and Cal potentially going to the Atlantic Coastal Conference, even though they're on the Pacific Coast. <laughs> Who knows, I want, man? 
I want crazy. them in the in the AAC. You want who in the AAC? AAC or ACC? AAC in the American. Well, you got to remember. About- you got to remember now that the AC the ACC stands for any coast conference, not Atlantic Coast Conference. That's why they can have Stanford and Cal. Come on, guys. Any coast conference, ACC. There you go. We'll see what happens with that. Is the SEC done? Right? What is the SEC at? 16 teams right now? Big 10's at 18? Is the SEC just going to sit back and say, I'm the SEC. I'm, I'm Greg Sankey. Everybody's picking up my phone call. I'm calling Florida State, and I'm calling Clemson. Florida State can't wait to get out of the ACC. I mean, they, they basically said, somebody come get us last week, right? So, Drew, last question for you uh, when it comes to realignment talk. Who, who's the one program that you look at and you say, okay, these guys are going to go to either the Big Ten or the Big 12, and they're just going to keep doing what they're doing? Because I got, I got one in my mind. Ooh, well, you go first. Let me, let me marinate on that. I think, I think Utah is set up to run the Big 12. Okay, well, that kind of goes into my next, like, how much longer does Kyle Whittingham have there? I don't know, but you and I talked about ceilings, right, when it comes to recruiting. Utah finished number 20 last year. I think that was the highest-ranked recruiting class under Kyle Whittingham. Or it, also, was. it was. So when you take that into consideration, what's the one thing that could maybe push them a little bit higher? This is it, in my opinion. Utah, all they do is kick ass and take names. They're back-to-back Pac-12 champions in a conference that all we used to talk about is USC and Oregon. Who wins? Utah. Last two years. They're going to go to the Big 12. They're ready-made for that conference. And now you talked about three conferences that the whole country is going to have their eyes on. The Big 12 is one of them. They're no longer just hidden in the Pac-12 footprint. They're going to be there. And I think Utah is smart enough to know to say, hey, we got an opportunity to push south a little bit and continue to kind of expand our footprint. I think Utah is, is going to be one of those teams you got to keep an eye on. One other thing I'll point out on, on Utah, right, talking about kind of the, the climate change and, and you know, what, what are emerging as hotbeds. Just like with Arizona, I think Utah is churning out more and more guys. And I was talking to a, a coach that recruits the state, and he says, you know what the best part about recruiting Utah is, is none of the kids want to leave Utah. They want to play football in Utah. They want to be around their families. You know, a lot of polys there. So um, I, I, and we've seen Utah pushed into some other regions, man. They, they've gotten active in, in Florida. And, and again, just with that conference footprint expanding to all different corners of really the country, um, I, I would agree with that. And, and just, to add on to what I was saying about Whittingham, like I think he's the perfect man for that job, but eventually at some point someone else is going to come in there. And I think Utah is going to be extremely attractive. I think it applies to BYU too. You look at Puka Nakua from Utah originally signed with Washington out of high school, bounces back to BYU, same with his brother. And then you look at Kingsley Suamatea, one of the best tackles in the country signs with Oregon, Mario Cristobal out of high school, bounces back to BYU. If there's one thing about geography and college football that we need to pay attention to, it's the second landing spot. I think that the teams that are able or states geographically that are potent in terms of churning out talent, 
those state schools are going to be the beneficiary of the guys that bounce back and want to play closer to home. So I think Utah, BYU, both in good position. Drew, you and I talked about maybe talking about this for 10 minutes. What do we go? 25? Okay. Well, I got to answer. Yeah. I got to, I got to answer your question. You you said team that I think they're going to keep doing what they're doing in a, in a new conference. Like I think Oregon with Dan landing there. um, Yeah. I know we're going to discuss a little bit about what they're doing on the recruiting trail, but I would feel good about an Oregon. If I'm an Oregon fan, supporter, booster, whatever, that he's the one running the show because every time I, I seem to look up, they keep adding a guy and I'm like, all right, this is, this is a dude. Um, and I, I think with Oregon moving into the Big Ten, the point of attack, trench play is only going to be more and more of an emphasis. And I don't think Dan Landing needs me to tell him that. I'm sure he is well aware that's what it's going to take to win in the Big Ten. And let's not forget Oregon, you know, they won in Big Ten country a, a game last year. So I feel more confident about them than Washington, you know, finding some success and, and some and finding their footing. Do you think Dan Landing knew before he signed that massive contract? that Oregon was all but done to the Big Ten? You would have to think, right? I, I don't, you worked at Oregon. You tell me. I, I, I mean, it makes it so much more appealing. If I knew that was going to happen, I'd have no problem doing that. Right. So, anyway. All right, Drew. Now to who has taken college football recruiting by storm here, and they're just on a heater right now. Mike Norvell continues to go into the state of Georgia. Out of all places, you just dropped that stat on us at the beginning of the show what was it 19 out of 25 right that had left the state of georgia last year in the top yep. 247 i got to see what that number is at right now but florida state goes to georgia beats out georgia beats out alabama beats out ohio state beats out auburn who seem to have a lot of momentum in this recruitment for the number one safety in all of the country and KJ Bolden drew you mentioned on here Seminoles they were the first to offer him a scholarship three years ago Florida State now up to number four in the 24-7 sports composite team rankings four to four out of their five top ranked commits hail from the Peach State you got KJ Bolden Landon Thomas who they also flipped Luke Cromenhawk and Cam Davis seven prospects in all from the Peach State committed to Florida State right now Drew, I mean, what is what is there to say? I mean, it was like a year ago, right? I, I I keep reminding people I got on. There's one guy on Twitter who reminds me all the time that I love that, you know, I used to talk about Florida State recruiting like it was a sailboat without a sail, right? And that's kind of what it felt like. Now they're up to number four. I mean, Mike Norvell has taken this thing and put it in absolute turbo mode, right? And now they're sitting here at top five in the country. They got to go on KJ Bolden, their latest edition. Drew, your takeaway on Florida State, Mike Norvell, and the current state of that uh, recruiting program? Well, they've certainly got some uh, some wind at their backs, right, to steal your, your saying. Um, I think what's scary is you know that they're going to clean up in the transfer portal. I mean, Mike Norvell and the rest of his staff, I mean, how much success have they had adding veterans. I mean, I saw a photo of Jared Verse from the guys at Knowles 247. Jesus, get him on a, on the cover of like a, a, a bodybuilding magazine. I, how did like, and they went and they found him and, you know, they got other big impact transfers that are, have come in this, this fall and are expected to make an impact here in, in 2023. So I think when Mike Norvell first got there, the transfer portal for them was like, all right, we need to fill needs. 
Now you look at this 2023 recruiting class, or excuse me, 2024, a little bit of what they did in 2023. It's like, okay, now they are landing blue chip potential difference makers. And I think when you blend that with the transfer portal, it, it's no longer, hey, we, we, we need to get this guy to fill this spot. It's We're taking BPA, best player available. Like, what is that roster going to look like two years from now if they can keep this up? So that's one of my initial takeaways. I mean, it, it's, it's a scary thought. I also think Florida State deserves a, a ton of credit. Pat Sertan, father of uh, one of the NFL's best cornerbacks, Pat Sertan Jr. You know, he's the new secondary coach there in Tallahassee, came over from the Miami Dolphins where he was working as a uh, an assistant coach. And I'll give everyone a, a, a interesting story about Pat Sertan. You know, I, I ran into him on the road in May. It's his first kind of full, you know, going through the recruiting process, actually having to recruit people. And I asked him, I'm like, how, how's it going? And I could see the look on his face that he was fatigued. I said, well, you, you decided to, to join this recruiting fray probably at the worst time ever, just with, with the NIL, the, the visits and all that stuff. And he's like, yeah, a, a ton of coaches have told me that. But, you know, and it's a team effort in Tallahassee like it's not just Pat Sertain getting these guys but man now he's got KJ Bolden Charles Lester I mean they are they are cleaning up there and I think an, another interesting nugget KJ Bolden would be the 15th highest ranked signee ever for Florida State I think that says a lot I mean this is a program um, that has certainly you know been in the spotlight before and, and got a lot of guys and Three safeties would be ranked ahead of KJ Bolden, Myron Roll, Carlos Williams, and Derwin James. So that's the category of he could be in. So it's it's a monster pickup, and and they're taking him from Georgia. So I, I'm kudos to the Seminoles. Our director of recruiting, Steve Wolfong, also came out with a report after the commitment of KJ Bolden to Florida State. Knowles still working on the number one receiver in the land, Jeremiah Smith, his teammate Josiah Trader, even though. He is committed currently to the Hurricanes of Quan Patterson, another name, Jason Zandamella, Artavius Jones, currently committed to Miami, LJ McCray, Xavier Mincy, Jamari Howard. I mean, you think of some of these names, Drew, that, that Steve has thrown out that Florida State is involved with here that they're going to try to get to the finish line with. I mean, this is, this is a different caliber of class we're talking about now if they're able to get that done. You brought up LJ McCray, right? I have a hunch he is a name that we will talk about in length up until the De December signing period, right? I mean, yeah, there's going to be some flips out there, but a lot of the hay is in the barn. We keep bringing up this statistic over 80% of the top 247. I think LJ McCray is going to stretch this thing out. And what is notable to me about LJ McCray is last summer at the Seminole Showcase, so that was the camp that the FSU did, Right when they had started fall camp, LJ McCray was there working out as an unknown kind of underclassman, right? He had a few offers, but I remember him dominating that camp. And we talked about it a few weeks ago when, the, when that contact period was open. Florida State was one of the only schools that actually put, th put, put kids through drills. It was primarily for underclassmen. And that's why they have a seat at the table right now with LJ McCray. They have built that relationship, and it seems like that's what paid off with K.J. Bolden, right? We're in on him early, didn't come late to the party, maintained relationships with coaching changes. So I do think that's notable because we've we've kind of identified or, or put Florida State in the pool of they are evaluators. They want to evaluate. They're not going to star chase. They're going to make their own evaluations, 
And I think LJ McCray would be another example of that paying off. Drew, you're the director of recruiting at Oyster Boys University. Last week of July, you have one week left, right, where you can have these prospects on campus. What's more impactful for you and your program? Are you having players on campus that you can work out, or are you having a barbecue where you can strengthen your relationship? I'm trying to do both. Work out in the morning, barbecue at night. That's <laughs> my and kind I'm of guy sure, right there. <laughs> and I, I'm sure there is a ton of personnel people that are listening going well you know it's easy to say that in theory i understand those staffs are pushed to the max but if you have the capability to do that i think it's so important especially for the underclassmen because we, we we continue to bring it up man as soon as as soon as that junior season's done good luck getting them to lace up the cleats we're going to take a quick break you're listening to the 24 7 sports football recruiting podcast when you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Guys, you're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Remember to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcast, Spotify, Apple included. Also, make sure to leave a review on there. And if you have a question for our mailbag episode on Wednesday, that is the place to do it. At least that's going to be the place where it's going to be prioritized by producer Lance. You can also reply with a question on Twitter. The questions have been great. So make sure you leave a review and a rating on there as well. Drew, let's talk about the Georgia Bulldog. Georgia Bulldogs, excuse me, number one ranked recruiting class in the country. And they just continue to do what they do. Running back coach Del McGee adds another this weekend, going all the way out to California for the number 10 ranked running back in the land in Nate Frazier on Sunday. He joins Dwight Phillips Jr., number eight ranked running back, and Chauncey Bowens, number 33rd ranked running back. You talk about a three-headed monster, Drew. Think about this. I, I was studying these guys this morning. Nate Frazier, right? 5'10 and a half, 205 pounds. This is a guy who packs a punch. I mean, he plays a lot bigger than he actually is. He went 10'5'8 in the 100 meter this spring. Dwight Phillips, 10'2'4. Chauncey Bowens, another guy over 200 pounds, went 10'8'8. I mean, you talk about all guys with verified speed, verified athleticism, that Bowens and Frazier, what type of tools are they? They're just a hammer, right? And <laughs> Then on top of that, you got Dwight Phillips. Think about the fact Georgia's offensive line, all the beef that they're bringing in. The smallest guy they have on there is Malachi Tolliver at 6'5 and a half and 320 pounds. I mean, you talk about a team who knows who they are, and you talk about finding guys who fit you. It doesn't matter if you're the number one ranked program, it doesn't matter if you're the back to back defending national champions. You have to know this. You have to know your personnel. You have to know how to play it. You have to know how to recruit it. You have to know how to develop it. Del McGee just put on a clinic of what it looks like to be a Georgia Bulldog and what a Georgia running back should look like. I mean, these three guys, man, they, they fit Georgia to a T. So I got a couple, a couple thoughts here. Chauncey Bowens, Georgia flipped him from Florida. That's obviously a rival. 
Dwight Phillips, I think they're probably always going to get if they if they had pushed. But Nate Frazier, I mean, he could have went to a, a USC. He could have went to an Oregon. So we discussed the negative recruiting that, that Kirby Smart addressed early on in his fall camp last week. I mean, Georgia knows, like you said, they, they know who they are. And I had to get on the 24-7 sports college football YouTube show. And I was asked, you know, what is the best fit for Nate Frazier? I said, it's Georgia, even even though they already have two top-end running backs committed. You mentioned that offensive line. They call it the Great Wall there in Athens. Six guys, all of them are over six foot five, and they average 345 pounds a player. Like Nate Frazier is going to find daylight, daylight behind those individuals. So, you know, why does Georgia not have five-star wide receivers committed? Well, because they, they want to stock up the running backs, they, that running back room, and, the, and they want to get the ball to the tight end. So, uh, Coop, how, how would you kind of use this committee? And, and that's the other thing, right? You're seeing it play out, or we, we saw it play out um, with the NFL guys and, and these max contracts and all that stuff. Like, I think Georgia's taking a very NFL approach to their running back room and in terms of bringing in different guys with different skill sets. And they're going to continue to do that. Like they're probably going to sign two more running backs in, in, in 2025. They're just going to keep restocking. So uh, how would you, you utilize that, that group? I mean, I, I think to me, Nate Frazier is kind of like, he could be the workhorse in, in certain situations. He could, but you know, with, with Chauncey Bowens, you got a guy that kind of opens things up a little bit. I kind of think of it in a way that Penn state utilizes K Tron Allen and Nick Singleton you know, Catron Allen is the guy that kind of sets things up for Nicholas Singleton. And I think Nate Frazier is more of a guy that I see as a high volume change of pace back, which is which a lot of people don't know this. That's the role he's in right now at modern day, right? <laughs> and one of the best one of the best things about Nate Frazier is that here's a guy that has I don't want to say been underutilized, but he's going to come to Georgia with fresh legs. He's going to be ready to play. So I think. Listen, those two play off each other really nice. I think Dwight Phillips is a guy that can get on the field immediately in the return game and is also a guy that you can work out into the slot a little bit. I kind of see him more as a utility. How do we manufacture five, six touches a game for Dwight Phillips and get him in space? I think Nate Frazier is a guy that you can utilize as a receiver out of the backfield. And I think Chauncey Bones is the guy that playing in the SEC, you just wear people down with and you're going to see more in short yardage goal line situations. But it's crazy, and it's not often that you see getting three caliber of backs that are so talented, like the three that Georgia has incoming, that are all very complementary to each other's skill sets. So it's a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Frazier's like your first and 10, second and long, second and mid, mid chain, and then like Bowen's pass protection, short yardage, grind you down, you know, you need four, he's getting you five type of type of running back. Like you said, a great problem to have. So Georgia, they they keep it rolling. You know, and producer Lance asked his question. I was pretty frustrated with him when he when he came in and asked yeah, his you, question. You but you were. You were first and foremost. Can I add context to why I asked the question though? I haven't no, even asked a question. So why don't you ask a question, add some right. context to it, and right. then I'll, I, I I'll, I'll remind you why it's a not a it's a poor worded question. But go okay, ahead. Fine, 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 fine. Okay. But the question first and foremost is is Georgia's class underwhelming to what we thought it was going to be in this 2024 cycle? Now, obviously, 
they're going to finish number one or very likely going to finish number one overall. Uh, that's where they currently are right now. Um, but there was a lot of talk prior to the cycle really getting going that they could challenge Texas A&M's class uh, in 2022 to be the best class ever per hour, you know, rankings, which seems very unlikely right now, right? You look at what they've done in Georgia. Obviously they have Dylan Rayola who recently transferred, you know, to Buford, uh, but they missed on Sammy Brown, missed on KJ Bolden, missed on Mike Matthews, Landon Thomas was committed, flipped to Florida state. Now, obviously they have Jane Riddell and it's not like Georgia's struggling at tight end. I'm not saying that, but my point is, for what we thought they were going to end up with before the cycle started to where they are currently right now, while in the grand scheme of things, their class is still going to likely finish top five or top three best class of all time. There was so much hype about this being a class. I think Dylan Rayola even, even said to uh, national recruiting analyst Blair Angulo that he's trying to get this class to be the best ever. That's just not going to happen. I think that was the expectation for what, was being produced in the state of Georgia this cycle and for what we thought the Bulldogs were going to get. And it just isn't going to happen for them. And again, it's going to be the number one class overall. I'm not saying that it's not an amazing class. It obviously is. But for the expectation and the hype of being the best class ever, or at least challenging AM, they're not really even going to come close. I understand what you're saying. What I would push back on this is this is a national championship class. Okay, you look at the second best team, they're at 289 points. Georgia's at 314 right now. And this, and this is how they build it. 27 commits. They have 27 commitments, but this is part of the game, right? We just talked about boundaryless recruiting. This is going to happen. And, and sometimes competition, it can work the other way for you. And Florida State took advantage, right, with KJ Bolden, where he's going to have an opportunity to be on the field early. And at Georgia, Listen, he's going to go to the most talented roster in the country. He's going to have to compete. And I'm not saying that's not why K.J. Bolden didn't go to Georgia. But you look at what Georgia has brought in. Number one quarterback, number one player in the country, Dylan Rayola. Ellis Robinson, number one corner in the country. Justin Williams, I think there's a conversation that he's a number one linebacker in the country. Jaden Riddell, arguably the best pass-catching tight end in the country. Joseph Jonah Ajanye, another guy who's going to rise for us that I like. We've talked about the offensive line. Nitro Tuggle is another guy that I think has a big upside. They know who they are. They play to it. The consistency with how they build and the relentlessness to who they are has set them apart. So, yes, I understand what you're saying. Does, does it hurt to miss out on Sammy Brown from Georgia? Yes. Does it, does it hurt to miss out on, on K.J. Bolden? Yes. So on and so forth. This is also – outside of Florida and Texas, the most talented state in all of college football in terms of producing NFL legitimate talent. This is the business. It comes with the territory. Never in a million years would I be disappointed with this class if I was Georgia or anybody else. I, I understand where you're coming from, Lance, and the thing I'll add to echo Cooper, I think Georgia's pretty – pretty smart with some of the financial budgeting decisions that they make. And when you've been the national champion the past two years, there's always someone that's willing to up, up the ante to reach the level you're at. So, you know, while Georgia has been involved in, in some of these, and I'm not saying, you know, the price tag is what, what has driven everything, but I do, I do think at some point Georgia's going 
to find someone else and they're going to do it their way. So that, that, that's just what I'll add. And you can probably understand what I'm hinting at. Yeah. And, and I, I get what you guys are saying a hundred percent. And in no way do I think Georgia fans or obviously the program should be disappointed. Like I said, this class is likely going to be top five, top three, when all said and done all time. Uh, and obviously finish number one in this 2024 cycle, just uh, and, and, and the, maybe and the cycle, 2020 things, but the cycle's not done. That's that's, that's what I'll add as well. True. Well, let me translate for what you're trying to say, Andrew. Are you going to pay Sammy Brown coming off a cycle where you got Raylan Wilson, C.J. Allen, and Troy Bowles, and you got Justin Williams in the boat? I get it. You know he came off after Sammy Brown went to Clemson. Would you have loved to have him for sure? Are you going to pay top dollar for a linebacker when that room's loaded? Probably not. You know, do that for KJ Bolden a year coming off. You got AJ Harris and Joe Noel Aguero. No, I'm okay with that. Mike Matthews. I got Lad McConkey in my starting lineup. You think I need Mike Matthews? I'm good. Right. So the NIL stuff is real. It is a real thing. You can't pay everybody. And if you're going to pay somebody, you got to pay the premium positions. And guess what? The positions where I look at Georgia, where they're fine, quarterback, corner, pass rusher. The foundations of your team, they got it locked up. So it's a good question, though, there. Lance. It's a, it's a, I get where you're coming it, it's from. It's a fair question. I almost made it a, I almost saved it for the mailbag episode tomorrow. I'd take, I'd take it personal because if I was sitting, if I was sitting in a room in Georgia's office and I heard that, I'd be befuddled. But I get where you're coming from. Hey, that's, a very, that's, a very, that's a very, that's a very, that's a very, that's a very like first take. Let's debate. Is that what you said in the text message? What is this first take? It felt like <laughs> it. <laughs> trying to get away from that stuff. All right. Georgia, done. Gatlin Bear, Idaho. Drew. I mean, it's like this one happened quick. It was happening in the midst of all the conference realignment chaos but gatlin bear is going to go on a mission by the way for two years right we need to we need we need to discuss that we need, we need to make that very clear but gatlin bear if you don't know him number one player in the state of idaho that might not get your attention but number 35 player overall in the top 247 number nine receiver in the country was between boise state and michigan and if you don't know anything about gatlin bear gatlin bear can absolutely fly and we talked so much about Nicholas Harbor and his athletic and track and field background, as we should. He's 6'5", 225 pounds, and can run like a gazelle. Gatlin Bear, at 6'2", 195 pounds, clocked a 10-1-8 this spring. 10-1-5, I'm sorry. 10 one yeah. wasn't even his fastest. I think the 200 times more impressive. It's like 27-8, I think. 24-1. Yeah. I knew it was up there. So he can roll. We know that. <laughs> and he can um, jump. He always tags me in like <laughs> videos of him dunking. He can he can jump as well. Yeah, 22 uh, feet plus in the long jump as well. So Boise State, head coach Andy Avalos, offense coordinator, Bush Hamden, friend of the show. They're getting the dude. Now, that being said, Drew, the the – the one thing that has not been talked about at great length here is he is going on a mission, right? Which if you're Boise State, that is what it is. You will, you will take this guy 10 out of 10 times. It doesn't matter when he's coming. But this is, this is big for Boise State, Andrew. And I, this morning I tweeted about it, but Boise State won 10 games last year. And if you wouldn't have told me that this morning, it was like, 
man, I, I might have missed that. They open up with Washington week one in Seattle. Seven wins, year one for Andy Avalos, 10 wins, year two, Dirk Cutter comes in. They turned that season around last year. I mean, this is huge for Boise State. I don't know if it's going to cause uh, a huge ripple effect in terms of the recruiting, and we'll see a tidal wave there, but just in terms of being able to get this one done with that caliber of player is a huge, huge uh, positive sign for that program. And we don't really know what the the future of the Mountain West looks like, right? It's kind of up in the I have air. No, no idea. <laughs> it is. I and Gatlin Bear is going to be on the freaks list. I mean, he's kind of a layup. But last cycle, Boise State had another guy on the freaks list, James Dubar, running back. So, I mean, they're getting some some freaky dudes out there. Coop, uh, we haven't talked about the whole mission aspect on this, but I I did some preliminary research with the help of 24-7 sports editor Brandon Huffman. Um, it's kind of a not a head scratcher. Like I'm not like I 100 percent get it. And you know, like it's just there hasn't been a ton of guys that have have left for two years, come back, and went on to be selected early on in the NFL draft. I think some Brandon Huffman said the last one was like over a decade ago. Usually they're going back to Utah, BYU, which traditionally have older teams and i mean guys have made the league Taysom hill you know i i think he's probably the the biggest example of someone that took two yards two years off after high school and then you know went on to have a successful college career in the nfl it's certainly different and he is he being gatlin bear like this is kind of a first for us like i when is the last high profile guy that has has made a, a decision like this and Again, I was asked on the 24-7 Sports College Football Recruiting Show, you know, who do you think the best fit is for Gatlin Bear? And I said, Michigan. I, You know, Jim Harbaugh is out there pounding his chest about how they could potentially have 20 guys drafted in, in, in 2024 uh, break George's record. Like, we know what they do from a player development standpoint, um, and they're not afraid to bring in guys from overseas and guys of all different unique backgrounds. So I, I thought M Michigan made the most sense if Gatlin was like, Hey, I, I want to be in the NFL, but I totally get Boise state on the other side, you know, he made blue turf hometown hero. Um, so it'll be fun. And again, we don't know what the mountain West is going to look like. I mean, he could be going up against some of these pack four schools at, at some point down the line. <laughs> Man, bringing in the pack four already. Uh, <laughs> Drew, the, the other thing about Gatlin bear that, to chew on here a little bit. I'm not trying to paint us into a corner, but I mean, this guy's got all the physical clay to warrant a five-star discussion, right? I mean, his ranking already says that he's at 35 right now. He's kind of, he's kind of knocking on the door already. Maybe not kicking down the door, but knocking on the door already. I mean, in, in your mind, what do we have to see from Gatlin bear over the fall? And, and I believe we got him at the all American bowl, right? Oh, that's that's what I was going to say. The, the all American bowl is going to be, fascinating like you want to go into our editor system right now and write a storyline <laughs> what is this boise state guy that was on the freaks list look like going up against some of the nation's top defensive backs because at the all-american bowl it's a lot different than the under armor game right it's almost like the senior bowl going up against the pro bowl like he's going to practice there's going to be joint practices competition is going to be ramped up 
And to me, from what I know about Gatlin Bear, and this is only from seeing on the social media side, he seems to be a guy that competes. So, you know, I, I think that week will be pivotal for him. It's my favorite part of the All-American Bowl over the last two years. One, I had to go home early uh, for one of them. But my favorite part last year was seeing the guys that aren't typically playing at a high level of competition, right? And all of a sudden, they, they, they get dropped into this arena where for a week, all the focus is on them, right? It's national TV coverage. You're going through media sessions. There's a lot going on. There's a lot to digest. And we saw it last year. Why am I forgetting the quarterback from South Dakota? Lincoln. Lincoln Kineholes, right? And we saw that last year. And it seemed like, hey, the lights were a little bit bright. And then on the biggest stage, he flipped the switch. So Gatlin Bear going to have an opportunity to do that this year in San Antonio. Drew, we're running a little bit long. So a couple other commitments that we do want to hit on. NC State, they pick up Jonathan Paler. They beat out South Carolina, number 16 athlete in the country. He was out of our two four, top 247 now. He's back in NC no, State. He, he was always in. He just slid back. Okay. I'm sorry. Wolfpack now number 46 in the rankings. Uh, Robbie Martin as well, Cedric Bailey, Jane Scott, a couple other names that you like. We'll get to them in a second. LSU, they pick up Jelani Watkins. You want to talk about another guy that can flat out roll. That is Jelani Watkins. LSU now, don't look now, number 11 in the 24-7 sports composite team ranking. Shout out to Cortez Hankton, receivers coach there in Baton Rouge. Jelani Watkins, pair him with Kylan Billiot, number 22 receiver in the country. That's another guy we really like. Jalen Brown, flashing on social media. LSU, another team to watch as we go uh, to the fall. UCLA, they pick up Derek Mafal out of Texas, number 25 athlete in the country. And then Dakota Fields, just kind of in the middle of the night, Big Ten after dark. Oregon flips him from USC. God, I love that get for, for Dan Lanning and the boys there. So, Drew, let's start with Paler. This is a guy that you like. You're a little bit more familiar than I am. But what do you like about him that he adds to NC State? Well, he's another guy that can roll. I mean, he is podium mr podium at all the north carolina track meets i just like to fit robert and i the offensive coordinator excuse me he comes in he was at virginia he was at syracuse now he's at nc state they're telling jonathan paler he is a quote-unquote weapon and i think that tag fits him perfectly is he a running back is he a wide receiver i don't think it really matters but he is a chunk play machine uh, he can make people miss in space. So I, I just think for NC State, we never talk about them on this show, starting to put together a sneaky good offensive class, right? You mentioned Robbie Martin, who they just beat out West Virginia, a few others for. I think he is their center of the future. Uh, Cedric Bailey, quarterback. I know, Cooper, you're super high on him. He's Jeremiah Smith and Josiah Traders. He's got a, a high school quarterback, ton of developmental upside. Jaden Scott, another running back. We'll talk about the committee approach, but I do think this is a pickup. I've tossed out the comp. Like if you're an NC State fan, think Naheem Hines, who also ran track at NC State and, and was kind of juggled in between wide receiver and running back. Uh, one of my favorite, I think, fits so far in the 2024 cycle, Jonathan Paler to uh, NC State. And they and they beat out South Carolina, who is as hot as anyone on the recruiting trail. So it's not like this was some layup. All right, what do we think about Jelani Watkins to LSU? I mean, they pick up another guy that can, you know, we talked about the track and field background here, but this is a guy that's got a 10-3-300 meter to his name. It kind of puts in perspective what Gatlin Bear is doing, right? What we talked about at 10-1-8 at 6-2 and 190 pounds. But 
Delani Watkins, hold you on Kylan Billiot last year, Shelton Sampson uh, a- alongside Jalen Brown as well, and Kyle Parker. I mean, you look at LSU, what they're doing in the receiving core, Drew, a-, a lot of guys with a lot of different skill sets, a lot of different uh, variation in terms of the size as well. Big pickup for Cortez Hankton. Um, Drew, I like this one for Jelani Watkins. Kind of slid down our board a little bit, I think more based on on-field production, but typically you see these guys who kind of light it up in terms of what we see in, in track and field. And, you know, I kind of think of like Anthony Schwartz, right? He was more, when you when you turn on the tape, he's more of a track guy that you want to be a football player. I don't see that with Jelani Watkins. Uh, I dude, think he's I'm got s- some real, I'm some so, real football I'm so glad acumen to him. I'm so glad you said that because watch him again this morning. And right, track guy, undersized. Uh, his 23.9 in the 200-meter dash, that is the second-best time nationally in, in the 200 this year, according to mile split. And he, I think he could just run track in college. He's like in their top 50 of, of track recruits. But no, I agree. Put on the tape. And uh, to me, he's at his best when he is like getting the ball in space underneath routes and he can just take off, get to the corner, uh, down the sidelines, but you watch the highlights and he tracks the football very well. He can run a full route tree, haul in the vertical shot. So I think just pairing him kind of with what they had taken last cycle, what they have committed in, in Kylon Balot, Billiot, right? Billiot. 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 I'm, I'm going to have to get that before National Signing Day. Um, who are also big fans on? I mean, Colin Hurley, the quarterback there, like. This the passing attack isn't going to take a step back in, in my eyes with those two committed. So I know LSU apparently had a uh, big scuffle in camp on Monday. Kyron Lacey, Malik Neighbors were sent to the locker room. Harold Perkins also wasn't allowed to practice the rest of the day. I've seen a lot of people like the the feedback on this has been like, is this an issue? Is this no? It's your best players getting into it. Should be competitive. LSU's got a national championship team. Good. I want your best players to be trying to take each other's heads off. That's the way it should be. I'd rather reel you in than have to light a fire under your ass. Dude, I love this. I I was like, what is the spread of that Florida State game? <laughs> like, that was my first thought. As soon as I saw the players that were mentioned, because the exact same reason you said. like They're all, right, all dudes. Guys, yeah, they're, they're just – that got me fired up for, 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 for the season right there. They'll be fine. All right, Drew, um, we talked about – a couple others mentioned as well. Derek McFall. Derek, Derek McFall, real quick. Uh, I had him on my all-tournament team at the OT7 championship. Kind of a utility man there in Texas, but he becomes the highest-ranked commit in the 24 cycle for UCLA. Um, another track kid, but three-phase player. Played a little bit of quarterback. Uh, we always mention UCLA transfer portal, but I think if you're a Bruins fan and you're like, all right, who could Derek McFall be for us? How about Demetric Felton? Remember him? Came out two years ago, uh, was drafted in the sixth round by the Cleveland Browns. Running back has made the transition to wide receiver. I think Derek McFall, who's our number 25 athlete right now, like I, I think he fits into the same type of category in terms of utility, man. So uh, I think we just needed to talk that up and, and impressive for UCLA to go into the state of Texas. And I would not be surprised if you're watching Big Ten after dark. You see Dante Moore finding Derek McFall out of the backfield or in the slot. Nice comp, dude. I like that a lot. Uh, Dakota Fields, Drew. I like this one. Number 10 corner. I think a lot of people just, just kind of happen, right? And 
It's a big hit for USC, but it's a heck of a get for for Oregon. I, I like Dakota Fields a lot. I think it's another guy that could potentially rise up our board. You like the size at six foot plus, 10-9-2 in the 100 meter. Another guy that can go. They're raving about Roderick Pleasant right now, uh, one of the fastest players in the 2023 cycle. Another guy that's going to do track and field in college. Oregon, Drew, we're big fans of. We've We've been no stranger to that whatsoever, but this is what good teams do, right? They they just continue to work, continue to grind, and they they take <laughs> from other teams that are also in their division. I had not read that about Roderick Pleasant. That's encouraging. I like that. Is that a practice report? I just saw it, I think, in, in Twitter that there was a report that some of the fastest players at Oregon had gotten together, ran a race, I don't know, sometime over the offseason, and it was like, eye-opening moment for them so Here, here's my take right Oregon moving to the Big Ten who knows what the scheduling will look like um, but they are loading up on DBs to try and slow down that Ohio State passing attack so <laughs> I, I agree with everything you said about Dakota Fields the one thing I'll also point out he's got like a 76 inch wingspan so you love to see that in the defensive backs missed some time last fall but he can play in man, pairing him with Aaron Flowers. Uh, they also got the corner out of uh, the DMV. If he Obadegu, yeah. Yep. So, I mean, premium positions, and they're really loading up with defensive talent, which is needed. Yeah, Drew, you. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, they were 30th against run defensively last year. I think 71st in total defense. So they're definitely leaking against the pass. They got to get better there. Uh, Drew, the last one here, Frankie Arthur number five running back in the country to UCF and UCF Gus Malzahn they already got Stacy Gage in there younger brother of Adrian Peterson that is Frankie Arthur Drew, I turn on the tape I like this dude a lot man I, this is kind of like you put this on the rundown I didn't even know that happened but this is this is notable in my eyes a big pickup for Central Florida how in the hell does he get out of the state of like how does he get out of that footprint in my opinion and I think they like beat out SMU for him Weird, weird recruitment. And then I went back in and I like watched the tape. I'm like, are we, are we missing something here? And, uh, and I went through our notes when we moved Frankie into the top two, four, seven, and you had a player comp on there, uh, current Arizona running back maybe, or who, who did you, do you know who you had on there? I thought I had, Ooh, it was, it was it Naquan, right? Yeah. Naquan, right. You had Naquan, right. He reminds me a little of, and you're probably going to be like, whoa, what? Like Quinshawn Judkins' run style a little bit. Like finds green grass and like he goes. And he's a big physical running back. Um, huge pickup for UCF. And you tease it a little bit on the front of the show. I mean, why we had them so high and the, you know, what top, recruiting operations or, or what these things schools could be in the new look big 12 big 16 whatever you want to call it and i think with ucf again if we're projecting long term right school of fifty thousand students it's right there in the middle of the state you can get into south florida you can get into tampa you can get into jacksonville and we've seen them have success this cycle in georgia and now they go into texas it's like okay um, so I, I mean, a, a, a monster addition for the Knights and we know Gus Malzahn wants to run the football, uh, pairing him with Stacy Gage, who I saw at Publix the other week. And then I like the quarterback they have committed Riley Trujillo. 
it, it's a fun recruiting class in my eyes. Shout out Publix one time. Yeah, something doesn't really add up here with Frankie Arthur. I mean, 5'10", 190 pounds, went 10'6", in the 100 meter. He is the brother of Adrian Peterson, arguably one of the best running backs of all time. And he rushed for over 1,400 yards last season, averaging over nine yards per carry. And here you got Gus Malzahn and the Knights going into Texas to go grab him. So big oh. get for UCF. And we'll point out, I mean, the primary recruiter for both Stacy Gage and Frankie Arthur and Tavion Swint, top 247 running back in 2025, is all Cam Martin, who we talked about with Chris Hummer. He was on the 30 for 30 list, young running back, originally from the Lone Star State. Again, he is going to be, I think, a, a hot name. UCF is going to have to work to keep him recruited or keep him on staff if he keeps recruiting like this. All right, Drew, a lot to uh, unpack there. I think we did a good job of doing that conference realignment, a lot of commitments, a lot of stuff going on. College football just continues to get a little bit closer and closer. And it seems like college football recruiting, even with as many guys that are committed over 80% in the top 247, still something to talk about every day. Drew, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, are you going to watch the Johnny Manziel documentary? At some point. I watched Pride and Prejudice last night. Wife was like, hey, you got to watch this with me. And Have you, you ever seen Succession? No, I've not. I've heard our I boy Tom from Succession was in Pride and Prejudice. Good, good flick, dude. I like it. So I had to watch there, The Bachelor, bro. <laughs> Cutting tape, watching The Bachelor in the background. It's not a fun. Mondays are not fun. All right, here comes Lance. What'd you get subjected to, Lance? You have <laughs> no, have you, have you guys watched? Have you guys ever watched Suits? Yes, season yeah. three. Right now we're rolling. Got it. My wife is a big Suits fan. I was being miserable watching the Yankee game. Uh, as they lost again. So I was sort of half watching Suits as well. Good show. Harvey it's crazy. Specter, Meghan Mike it's Ross. Really crazy that Megan Markle is in it and now she's royalty. You wonder. Shout out to the Duchess. Like, yeah. I mean, crazy. But yeah, Mike Ross, Jessica Pearson, Daniel Hardman. Come on, I know all these guys. Lewis Lit, dude. You just got Lewis lit up. Lit. Great show. All right, let's get out of here. I, I think the studio is reserved for somebody else. Guys, we appreciate you listening to the show as always. Like I said, make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcast. Spotify, Apple included. If you got a question, make sure to get them in for that Wednesday mailbag episode for Andrew Ivins and Lance Glenn. I'm Cooper Patagna. We'll see you tomorrow.